We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast brought to you by Harry's. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. The Lakers are 21 and 3, 22 and 3. I've lost count. 22 and 3. <laughs> I have lost count, man. The numbers, uh, it, it, this is just the coolest season. Lakers got Avery Bradley back last night uh, when they played the Orlando Magic. Held Orlando to nine points in the first quarter. Kind of drifted for the last three quarters, but. Overall, good win in Orlando, a place where they generally don't play particularly well. They turned it on late in the game and uh, and closed them out for a good road win. We did not have Kyle Kuzma in the lineup. We did not have Rajon Rondo, but we did see that was the first like really good defensive game they've played against a below 500 team in a while. And the Lakers had been talking about having an Avery Bradley challenge, the Avery challenge, where they wanted to stay at the top of the league in defensive rating when Bradley was out. They did not do that. They dropped a couple of spots while the offense just skyrocketed, and they're still very good defensively. But what did you see from Bradley's return, and what does he bring to the table for us going forward? I mean, I think defensively, he looked close, right? Mm. What do you mean? So... He had a few of sort of those trademark Avery Bradley possessions, right? Like he got up into a couple of guys' um, chests and was really sort of forcing angles on drives. Um, I thought he contested shots well. All that sort of Avery Bradley stuff. He looked, I don't even want to call it like a half a step. It was probably in between a quarter and a half a step, just a little bit out of rhythm, which is to Mm -hmm. be expected. Yeah, timing and all of that that comes with missing time, yeah. I think timing's probably the best word for it, right? 
defense is so instinctual, but it's also based off of like reps, right? Mm -hmm. And how in tune to the game are you in terms of game speed? A lot of times people talk about game speed in terms of offense, right? Like how quickly the defense is getting up into you or how quickly the ball is moving around. There is some quick decision making that needs to happen on offense. And when you haven't played in a long time, I feel like that shows up, especially because people really pay attention offensively. I actually think the same is true for defense, right? Like the best defenses, folks move on a string, Everyone is sort of attached to each other in terms of the network of how teammates move around the floor. I thought Bradley was okay to good in that area. I don't necessarily think that he was excellent. That said, you know, the results were there, so that's a positive thing. And so I think that what you want from a guy is to have some success, but not necessarily be like all the way there. teachable moments and then build back in to it. What were you seeing? I think he brings a lot of the ball pressure mentality, like not just ball pressure Mm -hmm. himself, but we talked before the season about how the Lakers needed to be really aggressive on the perimeter because that would rely on their rim protection, which is so fantastic. They've got so many guys that are really athletic and can block and change shots around the rim. So if you're aggressive out on the perimeter, chase guys off of that three-point line, let them go into the paint and you know trail them, give them back pressure, but funnel them into those bigs. And Bradley does that as well as, as anyone. But when it's Bradley and KCP, who we're going to get into a little little bit later even JaVale and Dwight are showing very high on off-ball screens or on ball screens they're showing at the level of the ball which is often referred to as shocking the ball in the NBA so that big is not going to come all the way up to trap the guard but he's going to right where the screen set he's going to contain up there rather than in a drop coverage so everything that Lakers do is more and more aggressive and so it compounds on Avery Bradley and KCP and Alex Caruso and Anthony Davis who's this you know, Swiss army knife that can be out on the perimeter and is one of our rim protectors as well. And again, you get athletes like JaVale and Dwight out there not worrying about what's going to happen behind them because those guys historically, and this is true of most players, if you don't trust that the guys behind you are going to rotate over or if the helper is going to be helped and it's going to end up as a dunk, you're not going to be aggressive. You're not going to chase guys off of the three-point line. You're not going to contain as high because that's always going to be in the back of your mind. And trust is something that it's not really a conscious thing, right? It's like, I believe in you or I don't. And you can see the defense is believing in each other more and more. And we're seeing the results of that in that like nine point first quarter where they can be great in in ball pressure. And I think Avery Bradley brings a lot of that to the table. We'll get back to Bradley in a second. The shocking of the ball thing is super interesting to me because it feels different than what the Lakers were maybe in the first five to 15 games into the season. Are you seeing that too? Because I've noticed in the past like eight to 10 games or so, they've really started to do that more. Now, maybe that's competition-based, right? They've played the Trailblazers and like the Mavericks and teams who use high ball screens with effective guards who you really can't go under on and you need to be up in them. Do you think that this is like a lasting trend or do you think that it's more opponent based? So this game against Orlando kind of 
told me something for exactly the reasons that you're talking about. It's one thing to show high because you're worried that Luka's going to pull up for a three or Dame Lillard is going to do that. It's quite another when DJ Augustine is the point guard on the other team and you're still being very aggressive up there. I made a video in the preseason about my concern that the Lakers were going to give up a lot of threes. And when they lose their focus, they do give up, give that up. But when they're locked in, they actually defend the three-point line extraordinarily well. And part of that is because they've moved their bigs up. So to answer your question, yes, I have seen a change. You are seeing Dwight on the perimeter more. You're seeing more blitzes, more shocks, more hard hedges, hedge and recovers. But Dwight and JaVale, rather than being in deep drops, remember Vogel even talked about that yeah. at, uh, at media day about, hey, I've got, we've designed this scheme to keep our bigs largely in the paint. And they do utilize that sometime but just the overall aggression of like we're coming out to you on the perimeter go deal with our athletes in the paint they've been gearing that up more and more especially when they're they're locked in and they they respect the team that they're going up against and what's great about having Bradley back is that he helps the Lakers even against teams they don't necessarily respect on the defensive end but yeah that overall pressure on the perimeter has been they've been turning up the heat more and more yeah I think that in some of the things that, that I've seen, I think one of the things that contributes to that is not just the trust, but the personnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the Lakers play a lot with two bigs. Other teams have been trying to match up with them a fair amount by playing sort of a non-shooting second big as well. Or when they run screen, screen and roll, they're using it with a shooting big while their non-shooting big sort of hangs around the dunkers area, right? And so mm-hmm. when it's a backline big like Anthony Davis or even JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard who is sort of defending that second big that's hovering around the dunker spot, the Lakers have the ability to, to even pressure the ball more with their second big man, right? The one who's at the point of attack because that trust is not only there that there's people on the back line who were going to be there for you, but the specific skill sets of those players that are on the back line, right? When it's JaVale who's there to sort of swallow up a dive man who's rolling to the rim or a guard who maybe cuts weak side while there's action going on at the top of the key and you've got some of these creative passers like Luca or even Dame who can thread the needle down there. It's different when it's a big man down there or even LeBron James, right, who a lot of times if you watch Lakers games closely And I want you to sort of explain this to listeners as well, because it's something that I'm seeing, but I really want to hear your thoughts about this, is on the backside, I see LeBron a lot sort of pointing to guards when he's on the backside to stay high so that he is the backline helper and the guy Mm -hmm. who's rotating to the dive man, right? When, When it's his tag responsibility. And that's a much different thing when it's LeBron James versus like a Danny Green or a KCP who Mm -hmm. might be backside. Yeah, because just the size differential, right? Like the guy you're trying to take away in that rotation is oftentimes a big that's in that weak side dunker spot or something like that. And just, you know, a guy like KCP or Danny Green, although Green to a lesser extent, will get way more overpowered than LeBron will. So I'm definitely seeing that on tape as well. And that leads me to, I'm wondering, do you think that we'll be able to play AD at the five while playing this way? Because I I do think that part of why we've been able to press up on 
guys on the perimeter, even with Dwight, even with JaVale, is because they're not the only rim protector in that lineup. Yeah. And while LeBron's great in terms of like, he's been great on his closeouts this year, which he was terrible on last year. It's just great to see him caring about that and just his rotations in general. And he can beat guys to the spot. It's not the same thing as having... AD back there when Dwight gets beat on the perimeter because he was being aggressive, right? So can we play this way in those small ball lineups that we envisioned going into the season and that we still kind of envision as being kind of integral to what they'd be able to be successful with in the playoffs? The Lakers' best defensive lineups typically have Dwight Howard on the floor as well as Anthony Davis. What I'm very interested in is what does Kyle Kuzma's evolution look like as a backline defender? I was encouraged with the level that he was playing to defensively as a rotator on the backside against the Nuggets, the Jazz, and the Blazers, right? Like he was challenging shots at the rim. He was being vertical. He was trying to step in and and take charges. Still, though, he is not to the level and is not an intimidating force back there, right? And, And so... I think that everyone then needs to be a bit sharper and quicker with their rotations and rotate above the charge circle, right? Which is a different type of rotation than the rotation that Dwight Howard and JaVale have to make defensively because they can meet you at the front of the rim and reject your shot, right? Kyle Kuzma's not going to do that. Danny Green, as great of a um, sort of shot-blocking guard that he is, is not going to do that consistently enough for you. And so the guard who does that best is Alex Caruso, right? Like when you watch him rotate on the backside, he is always early. He is always in front of the charge circle. And to me, that's one of the reasons why he's got the best individual defensive rating on the entire team. He is an integral part of the Lakers' best defensive lineups. And in terms of what his responsibilities are, which are much more limited than Anthony Davis, he might be performing at the highest level within a smaller role, right? Like Davis is performing at an incredibly high level, but in a crazy big role. Caruso's role is more narrow, but he's doing really well, right? Caruso's skill set on the defensive end is perfect to match up with the shot blockers and rim protection that the Lakers had. Because like you said, he makes all of the rotations and he's there early. The whole idea is get him off the three-point line. These bigs cannot help you if you're letting these guys shoot open threes, right? Chase Mm -hmm. them off the three-point line. They're going to attack the closeout. They're going to beat you off the dribble. That's okay. Do that, then make your next rotation in terms of when... You know, those guys are driving to the basket. The big helps. Now that's still a four on three. The backline side, the backside guys on the other side need to do the same thing that Caruso just did. But that is why Caruso has such a high net rating is because defensively he gets there early. That's a perfect way of putting it. And that leads us to what we're going to talk about in the second segment, which is how do we get all of these guys playing time? So we'll be back in a moment to talk about that. Are you looking for a great gift for someone in your life? If you're looking for a great gift for someone in your life, Harry's is both thoughtful and practical. Listeners of the show can get $5 off any Harry's shave set by heading to harrys.com backslash blue wire. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. Holiday sets are just $20 and a Harry's blade refills are as low as $2 each. It comes ready to gift in a handsome holiday gift box and your gift gives back. 1% of each sale will be donated to charitable organizations. 
As a special offer for fans of the show, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off of any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets, when you go to harrys.com backslash bluewire. Plus, you'll get free shipping. Each Harry's shaving set comes with a weighted handle with an option to engrave, five-blade razor cartridges, foaming shave gel for a rich lather, travel cover to protect your blades, and it's packaged in a handsome holiday gift box. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. Just go to harrys.com backslash bluewire. That's harrys.com backslash bluewire. So at no point during this season, maybe it was one game, I think it might have been one game, but have we had really all of the guards healthy? Rajon Rondo was out of the lineup when Avery Bradley was playing at the beginning of the season. He came back right as Bradley got hurt. Bradley came back last night with Rondo nursing a, a tender hamstring that doesn't appear to be a serious injury, but we'll we'll see. Uh, but at some point, the, there's a good chance that the Lakers have their full complement of guards and their full complement in terms of the roster, and that points probably fairly soon. The rotation's been been really good. I've really liked how Frank Vogel's you know put his lineups together. Very rarely has has a bad lineup, but there's probably one too many guys, assuming that Cook and Daniels are not in the rotation, that hmm. deserves minutes. Even still, that does not get them. I want to start out with KCP. The tape on KCP, like he's been really really good since yes. that first like awful stretch offensively at least to start the season his defense has been consistent throughout even in that stretch when he struggled but he's been fantastic and Vogel elected to keep him in the starting lineup rather yep. than have Bradley uh start and just get taken out early so that he can meet the 15 minute you know minutes limit that he had should the Lakers be doing that going forward and like what here's where I'm with KCP man I don't trust him I don't trust him, but he's the best of the bunch when he's going well. So how do you manage that in terms of the decision making? It looks great now, but down the line, are we going to be being like, oh, crap, we got to go to Bradley? I mean, maybe. Yes and no. It's yeah, been a few pods. Exactly. It has it's been a few pods. Uh, coaches talk a lot about KYP, right? Mm -hmm. KYP is know your personnel. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they're talking about that within the context of like opponent. Know your personnel. We don't need to rotate to this guy at the three-point line. This player always goes right. He's right-hand dominant or left-hand dominant. This guy turns left shoulder, jump hook, play him that way, right? It's KYP. Head coaches, though, for their own roster, it's also KYP. It's how am I going to get the best out of each one of these players? KCP seems like a guy who plays to his best when he has a consistent role and when he starts. Like, I just don't know another way to put it I feel like when he has to face a lot of adversity with his role and maybe compete for a role or compete for minutes, things start to get a bit problematic for him. And his overall performance, especially offensively, goes down. I happen to think one of the reasons why the Lakers' offense has taken a jump is because KCP's been a key contributor in terms of how well he shot the ball mm -hmm. during this stretch, right? And that's one of the reasons why the Lakers are now like in the upper half of the league in terms of three-point shoe shooting rather than being in the bottom third of the league. I have not looked at their number lately, but I want to say that they were around 36 or 37% on the year, which is pretty good, mm -hmm. right? Especially when you consider LeBron and AD being able to threaten the front of the rim the way that they do. And especially considering how slowly they started. They started like low, low 30s to begin this season. Yes. And so they've definitely ratcheted it up. And KCP is a big part of that. When you talk about him going good, 
I think you want to try to ride that as much as you can while also understanding that you cannot feel like I need to keep doing this or play him for extended stretches when you have viable people behind him. If he ended up being sort of this token starter a la JaVale McGee, I don't know if that's necessarily a problem. I also don't know if that's going to lessen his overall performance. But if you feel like starting him leads to his best output or you're going to get the best from him, and I think that's true for JaVale, then can he be sort of the guard version of JaVale's role? I think he can be more than JaVale in that role. He's got the highest ceiling of all of the Lakers' smaller guards because his ability to defend Mm -hmm. and shoot, right? He's got a clear offensive role and defensive role. It's the shooting that concerns me because it comes and goes so severely. But I'd been advocating for Avery Bradley to start when he returns because I don't trust KCP, as I mentioned earlier. And the rationale behind that is that You know, when things get difficult or when KCP goes into one of those slumps, we don't want that to really crater the offense the way that it can in a big playoff series or or something like that. That said, you're absolutely correct that he plays better when he starts and that he plays better when he's not wondering what his role is, wondering when he's going to come into the game. That's actually something that he's been fantastic at, Vogel, that is, in terms of like guys go in and out of games pretty much the same time every game that allows players to be like, all right, my time's coming. This is, they, they can mentally gear up. They know exactly how long they're going to play or close to it. So they know exactly how hard to go uh, rather than conserving mm-hmm. energy. It's really helpful to players. Vogel's been fantastic at that. And so there, there's a lot to be said for keeping KCP in that. I think the resolution, I think I was wrong about starting Bradley And I think the proper resolution is that if KCP doesn't have it, and I don't mean just for one night, right? I mean that if he goes through a stretch, just start taking him out a minute or two earlier, right? Just shorten his minutes, the bandwidth of what his minutes can be a bit while keeping the same relative rotation. And I think that in that way, they can kind of protect themselves against what KCP can do when he gets in his own head while still benefiting from what he gives them when he's going well. Yeah, no, I think that all of that is 100% true. One of the things that I like about KCP starting is that he does sort of help raise the offensive ceiling for the team, even if he's not necessarily being productive, right? Like He's a threat. Yes, defensive just respect him a little bit more, and that's increased as he started to shoot the ball better, right? I'm not sure if a team is ever going to rotate to Avery Bradley the way that they rotate to KCP. Like, I just don't think that's going to happen. No. That said, managing the rotation behind that, to me, is a trickier question. And one thing I wanted to ask you is, Alex Caruso has basically been playing a lot of shooting guard. When he plays in closing lineups, he's basically replacing Danny Green, right? We thought before the season started that Caruso was basically going to be more of a point guard type, right? And that's just not been what his role is in terms of where he slotted within the rotation. Yes, he may be looked at as a secondary ball handler and all of that, but 
he's ended up playing a lot of minutes with Rondo. Those lineups have been productive. In closing lineups, he's playing off of LeBron and maybe even off of KCP. And so even though he may be a secondary ball handler between those two players, if there's more of a traditional shooting guard in the game, it's Caruso who's guarding that player while KCP still mostly defends point guards. And so if you're going to start KCP and Rondo is going to be back healthy eventually, and he's going to be playing point guard. Is Bradley going to get squeezed here, right? Or are they going to play three guard lineups where it's Bradley, Rondo, and Caruso? And if you think the answer to that question is yes, does their defense suffer because of that? I don't think so. I am curious about who does get squeezed out of that, though, because the lineup that's been working particularly well has been that unit to start the second quarters, which has been Caruso and Rondo in the backcourt, as you said. LeBron is the main hub of it all with AD out on the bench, Kuzma and Dwight. So, yeah, let's say they play those three guards whose minutes get reduced or who gets pulled out of that group of five. It's a tough question to answer. I think that Rondo has been pretty necessary and in those groups, both short-term and long-term, along with being able to to dribble and shot create, well, he's sharing the, the floor with LeBron. Why can't LeBron do it? It's the couple stretches of a game, the beginning of the second quarter and the beginning of the fourth quarter, where LeBron could play but doesn't have to, right? He doesn't have to bring the ball up every time. He doesn't have to initiate every play. And with Caruso and Bradley on the court, are they good enough at that to alleviate that responsibility from LeBron? Not really. So I, I do want Rondo out there. So then it becomes a question of, again, of like, well, where do his minutes come from? Do you reduce Kuzma's minutes even more? Uh, yeah. Did, like, I, I, I'm, I'm genuinely curious about that. I'm not exactly sure how to resolve that. What do you look to do in that? No, like, I, I honestly don't have a good answer there, right? Like, LeBron's LeBron. And you need him out on the floor for those stretches. Like, there have been times where the Lakers have gone without LeBron and without AD, and they've had some mixed results there. They've had some really good stretches, like that Bulls game, for example, earlier this season. The push that the Lakers made to start the fourth quarter where they erased that deficit, that was without LeBron and without Davis, right? And Kuzma took up a big scoring burden, Mm. and the ball was moving around, and they scored the ball well, and they defended well. That was also against the Bulls. Right, and there have been other stretches where those two guys aren't on the court, and then it's like, oh, that's seven points given up, you know, in a minute and a half. and and it's sort of like, oh, Vogel's going to call timeout, LeBron's going to come back in, and then he'll sort of give LeBron like a five- or six-minute push. He'll let him rest then for another couple of minutes, and if he needs to bring him back in in the final three minutes or so to close out the game or four minutes, he'll do that, right? Mm -hmm. And I just don't think you can squeeze Kuzma more. I just don't. Yeah. And so yeah. that means then it's probably Bradley versus Caruso for minutes, mm. right? I do think that you could probably, and this is going to sound weird, I think you could probably eat into Danny Green's minutes a little bit more. I think you could probably eat into KCP's minutes a little bit more. And and Daniels and Cook are getting some, Daniels especially, that that's might be eight minutes a game that you get for free where you don't squeeze any of those guys. Yeah, but even then that player is still probably playing some small forward, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. This is like, as Marlo Stanfield would say, right? sounds like one of those good problems, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean it's not a problem still, right? And 
The one thing I've really liked about Vogel this season is exactly what you said in terms of rotations and, and keeping it straight and simple. I wrote about this earlier during the year for Silver Screen and Roll, and I mentioned it on our last pod, is that he also hasn't been scared to sort of make a decision based off of his gut or what he's seen out there on the floor taking a player out and maybe not putting him back in because he sort of sees something in terms of the flow of the game and what's going to be a determining factor in winning the game. And a lot of times those decisions have been right from Frank Vogel. So I think on some levels, you and I not necessarily having good answers right now, I think we do have to sort of put some trust in Vogel's decision-making moving forward to say, well, you know what, I trust that he's going to make the right call more times than not and just sort of live with that and give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, he's earned as much trust as a coach can through 25 games, right? Like, that doesn't mean that the process of that is completed, but up to this point, man, you, you can't question any of it. I wonder if, you know, sometimes in baseball, a team will have like four outfielders that have a credible argument to be in the lineup. And over the course of 162 games in baseball, guys will get rest days, right? And that's not really typical in the NBA, but it allows like... Who knows how bad Rondo's hamstring is right now, but say it was like he could play if it was an important game or if it was the playoffs right now, but we don't want to push it. There are always times where there are nagging injuries and things like that, where sometimes guys play, sometimes we never hear about it, or they're just listed for a day or two or a game or two as probable or questionable on the report, on the injury report, and then we forget about it a couple of days later that you know they just played through that injury. Well... This allows the Lakers, especially with their backcourt guys, where, oh, you know, this thing's bothering you a little bit. Sit out tonight. You know, in terms of what it looks like in a everyone's healthy, nobody has nagging injuries. Those rare moments when that happens. I still don't know. Um, I do trust Vogel to make the correct decision there. But I do think that this provides the Lakers a luxury to sustain through a long season in ways that other teams might not be able to to do that. Yeah, I think. The Lakers have good depth, even if it's not necessarily chock full of like consistent players where their numbers are repeated night after night after night, right? And we've mentioned this some about this team when sort of discussing the context of building out a rotation and where were we right and where were we wrong about projecting this team for this season, right? And I think the game in Orlando was like a great example of that. Kyle Kuzma sat out, Jared Dudley came in, he had a couple of threes, he played solid defense, he did Jared Dudley things, including pushing several Orlando Magic players mm -hmm. at the same time when they tried to sort of That's uh, right. gang up on White a little bit. And Dudley was ready to play, right? He's basically the team's sixth big man or whatever, right? Sort of a swing forward. But he was there and he did this job. That's a great luxury to have when you're a head coach. And if you're looking at the Lakers guards, Bradley has an injury history. Rondo has an injury history, right? Like, it's good to have one or two additional players. Like, do I feel a little bit bad for Quinn Cook or for Troy Daniels, right? Like, these guys have basically been in and out of the rotation, both of them, but have been a presence for the whole season, right? But they're going to be the odd guy out. I mean, and they're going to be garbage time players. And that's just how it goes, play, right? Play like, better, play better if you want to. Like, that's one of the good parts about the guard rotation. They've got like yeah. six guys who could make an argument. So it's 
get, you know, give the minutes to the guys who are playing well. Yeah, I mean, that's just how it's going to go. But, I mean, when it comes right down to it, I do not think they can cut Alex Caruso's minutes. I do think that Rondo has played well enough to basically say, like, no, you're important. You need a consistent role here. And Danny Green's a starter. And KCP, just like you said, he's probably right standing next to or just a slight notch below Danny Green in terms of being the next best 3 and D player that's on the team, right? And so, no, like those four guys for sure need to play. We started this pod talking about Avery Bradley. He needs to play too. Mm -hmm. And so... The Lakers are going to have to find minutes for these guys, and that's just how it's going to go. There's only 96 minutes between those spots. If you add in the small forward spot, that's another 48 minutes to play with, but LeBron and Kuzma are basically going to get all of those minutes, right? So what are the Lakers to do? I think Vogel's just going to have to make some tough choices. Luckily, though— the players are good enough where you're likely not to lose much and there's enough overlap in terms of their skill sets where you're likely going to remain productive regardless. Yeah, as you said, both Avery Bradley and Rondo have struggled with injuries over the last few years. And so this may be a situation where there isn't too many games where both of them are healthy and we have this conundrum. If we do, uh, Rondo is a guy who I think has some cuttable minutes just in the respect of... Rondo either has it a particular night or he doesn't. And that's yeah. that's usually very obvious. It's a very stark distinction between good and bad. And on the bad nights, like, you know, it's a couple of shifts, but it's shorter, right? It's a 12-minute night instead of a 20-minute a night. And that's where Bradley can get more minutes. And then the, if Rondo has it, then, yeah, maybe Bradley's the guy you cut it from. Because I do think the threat of KCP as a shooter, the consistent defense, especially the rotations that you were talking about earlier of Caruso and how productive he's been, those are guys I probably leave alone in terms of how many minutes they play. And so Rondo and Bradley are really the guys who are competing with each other for the most part. Do you have any concerns, and this will be the last thing, do you have any concerns about the like the locker room element of it if we get everybody healthy there's a decent chance that somebody's a little bit unhappy with their their role in minutes yeah less so with this particular team and the type of chemistry that they've shown to this point and the type of success that that they've had right i think if things go sideways a bit and they have a 15 or 20 game stretch of the season where there may be 10 and 10 right? Something like that. Then maybe guys start to get a little bit more frustrated with things, especially if if in those losing games, they didn't get time, right? And, and they think that they can help. That said, the focus of Anthony Davis and LeBron James right now, they seem very much locked in and on the exact same page about where this team is, where they can go, and the way that they need to work together in order to get there. And when that's the driving force of your franchise, players of that caliber, I think a lot of those other things go go by the wayside. Last season, it was just LeBron. He ended up getting injured, and there were sort of a lot of ways for that team to go sideways, and they kind of did, right? This year, that just feels different to me. Yeah, I, I largely agree, although if 
we hit a rough stretch, that's going to be the player saying, see, we were doing just fine when I was playing, you know, 24 minutes, but now I'm playing 16 minutes and we're losing, right? That said, that's more of a young player kind of bratty mentality. That's part of the value of having vets. I just do think that it's something to be concerned about. And am I stretching for <laughs> for things that to worry about when they're 22 and 3? Absolutely. These are great problems to have in the, in the words of Marlo. So I think we'll wrap it up there. Oh, go ahead, Darius. No, I was just going to say one more thing. If there was anything, now if you really want to go off of past stuff, one place where you might be concerned is if those guys start to underperform and it's the stars who sort of start to look at them like we're carrying our weight and you're not carrying yours, right? Like, like I think that could be something that maybe – were going to happen more than the opposite, where these veteran sort of players who have who have had good careers in this league and 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 understand, like as the pressure ratchets up, are other guys going to start to crack under like maybe LeBron or AD basically like let's go let's go let's go rather than the other side of like that poutiness of. I'm not getting my time, right? Like (laughs) that's where I would be more concerned and I don't really have a concern there at all. I'm just saying to me, that would be more of something to to dig in. If you're really going to reach for something, I might reach in that direction rather than the other way. So yeah, role players are going to crack under pressure. A few of these guys are going to fall by the wayside. We talked about this the other day in that that's one of the you know, good parts about this roster is they've got so many solid guys that are around the same level that it's a different guy every night. Crusoe scores 16 in one game. JaVale is going to have a big game, you know, one out of every four games or so. And so, and you know, in some playoff series, yes, like three or four of those guys are just not going to be playing well. It's going to be up to Vogel to find the three or four other guys who are to put them around the stars. And so that's, yeah. I think, part of why they've been so good this year is they've got, they've got really good depth beyond LeBron and AD. They don't have any stars, but they've got enough good players to where can you find three other guys that are reliable on that night? I think on most ty- most nights, including the playoffs, they'll be able to. So anyway, going to be very interesting to see how they manage that going forward. But again, a good problem to have. Until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires, it's in, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Gamble in and out. The ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation.
Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.